now, you know, looking back over the past 10 years and like, man, like I really haven't worked for someone. Like I've cut my own checks for 10 years. That's like crazy. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Marquita Harris, working money editor for Essence, and welcome to Unbossed, a podcast for entrepreneurs, self-starters, and women who are about their business. This week, we're going to throw it back, way back to Essence Festival in early July, when I had the opportunity to speak with Savitra Wilson. Savitra is the founder of Solid Ground Innovations, a strategic communications management firm, and she's also the founder and CEO of the tech startup Brasilia. Recently, Savitra made headlines when she became the first black tech entrepreneur in New Orleans to raise more than $2 million. Savitra's work life began as an introverted 16-year-old in Louisiana, where she worked behind the scenes at a radio station. She also worked at McDonald's and has fond memories of humbly cleaning up the mystery goo in the refrigerators there. Needless to say, she learned very early on what she didn't want to do for a living. Savitra's dad was also a successful business owner and, as she put it, one of her hometown's first black millionaires, though he passed away when she was still young. However, this isn't a story about a young, successful black girl inheriting her father's good fortune. In fact, Savitra, her mother, and sibling received nothing, and this was all due to an issue with her father's will, which she's going to explain to you later. Eventually, Savitra took an interest in communications, and she pursued that during her college career. Savitra's gone on to win a National Nobel Peace Prize, and this is among many other noteworthy awards under her belt. What really inspires me about this woman is the fact that she's truly self-made. Her first business took off with no investment capital and no connections, and to me, that's the very definition of a boss. I hope her story inspires you as much as it inspires me. All right, let's get to Savitra. Everybody out there who's ever said your name incorrectly, because I know it happens. Yes. Say, how do you say your name? It's Savitra. Tra. Yes. Tra. Yes. Savitra Wilson. Yes. I know it's with the I, but like I said, you yes. know, black mamas, they're going to do it the way they want to do it. That's and right. That. And you know, we can't, we all love to the black mamas. So, um, so I want to get into everything that you're doing. You are the founder and CEO of Resilia. Yes. Um, but before we get into that, I want to start at the very beginning of your journey. Mm-hmm. What was your very, very first job? Oh, and how so old were you? My first job was at McDonald's. Okay. Yes. Um, okay, I love it. Yes. <laughs> I'm loving it. My, my mom was like, you just, you just so quick to get a job. I was like, as soon as I was able to get that permit, I was trying to get a job. I was trying to get my own money. How old were you? I was 15. Okay. And I went down there and I applied for that McDonald's job yes. and they put me in the back. I didn't know what I was doing. Okay, okay. <laughs> With little training, trying to flip those burgers. <laughs> And then from there, I moved, I segued on out of McDonald's um, and worked at a radio station. Oh, this this should be like home. I'm looking at Claudia, (laughs) producing for the day. I was just like, you know, (laughs) pushing paper. They were like, okay, we need to do this, this and this. I was like, okay, what do I need to do? And so just learning, which actually probably what has pushed me into communications in college. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's back up to Mickey D's. Yes. So you were, this is your very, very first job. Yes. Wait, remind me, how old were you again? I was 15. 15. Mm -hmm. You were kind of dropped into an environment that you nothing about nothing um what did you learn from that experience oh so i learned that 
you will do whatever it is you need to do when you need and want to make money. Right. You'll just make it happen. Um, But I also learned how to just work in an environment with different personalities. Okay. Uh, okay. Fair. (laughs) That was like the first time where I like, oh, like these are my colleagues (laughs) at 15. Like you think about that at 15. It's it's different, right? Because you're in high school and um, you just communicate and you work with people in a different space. And so working with people of different ages and backgrounds mm-hmm. in a very small and area. That's, that's definitely, that will serve you forever. Yes. And, and whether it's a job experience or like just life, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> it was, you know. And then I think that um, they had this old refrigerator that hadn't been cleaned out forever. And no. I was a person that got stuck cleaning out the refrigerator. <laughs> and that, from there, I knew I was like, okay, I'm going to look for my next opportunity. You know what? But I did clean it out, though. I did. I did my... My part. Sometimes it's all about the experiences, <laughs> yes. like having the experiences that you never want to yes. have again. Yes. That really like, that was push one of you. Them. <laughs> yes. So, what kind of a kid were you? Were you introverted? Were you very like I was extroverted? An introvert. Okay. Um, and I'm, I still am. Like people's like, yeah, right. I was like, you know, I love my me time. Yes. You know, I am Same. that person. I was an introvert to my core, and okay. I was super shy um, and quiet for the most part. I mean, my cousins still laugh. Uh, to this day because we went on family vacation and my mom packed this outfit where like my stomach was showing and then we were going to see my cousins and you know all these little boys and I would not get out the car oh okay I was just so shy shy. I was that I was that child okay (laughs) so I want to know you know little Savitra um in school, mm-hmm. what did you, what was, what kind of a crowd did you hang out with? What, like, what kind of a kid were you in high school, really? So, I was definitely the nerd at the cool table. Okay. I was that. Because because you're, um, correct me if I'm wrong, receipts, receipts, fact check. Um, you, are, do you specialize, or you're like a historian? Yes. Or a US history, oh, right? You, she did so okay. much. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I stand for, I mean, people call them nerdy details, but I love, I'm like a big blurred. I love history and I love, Me too. Like, just, people are like know, history. Like, I was like, I love history. We can't be out here repeating things. No, so. we cannot. <laughs> Doomed. So, okay, so you were the, so you sat at the cool table. Yes, okay. but never really been that comfortable, okay. you know, okay. in general. I always tell people that because of my background, you know, first generation college student. Yeah. I grew up in a rural uh, part of Louisiana. My mom's from New Orleans. My dad's from Hammond, which is a small city uh, in Louisiana. And so because of that, even growing up um, with those who have, you know, gone through the Devaton balls and like, Mm. I've never really felt that comfortable at the cool table. Um, But by default, I guess I ended up there and, you know, end up at different tables. But I'm always like, I'm pulling everybody with me Like, yes. we all cool. Yes. We here, you know? <laughs> Where'd you attend school? So I went to LSU undergrad. Okay. Um, then I ended up getting my master's in history from LSU as well. Um, and then a public policy degree from the Kennedy School. And so mm. I've been all over the place. And you're a Bill Gates scholar? Yes. Okay. Yes. I was reading somewhere that Bill Gates is one of your you know, inspirations. Yes. So um, just what... Bill and Melinda, when they started the Gates Scholarship and basically said, we're giving this to students except for white people. 
and so it's women, women, uh, women, any minority of color, yeah, and okay. not even like any okay. any minority, but you can't be white. Yes, okay. Um, and they stood by that for twenty years, even though that they faced like harsh criticism yeah. about it. And it was Big the time. largest scholarship that you could possibly get, and I met met so many people who were going to school all across the country, doing so many different things and so many different backgrounds, and you know, like. If you want to say like, impact happen, like we talk about like billionaires, like where they put their money and is, is it really making an impact? Is it really changing things like mm-hmm. that scholarship changed lives? Okay. okay. I love it. I love um, I love a scholar story mm-hmm. because, like, <laughs> because so I think so often, you know, you hear about these scholarships being given out and sometimes you hear what happened later yes. or sometimes, you you know, but rarely do we really get to see just, you know what happened and like Absolutely. where that person went after they got it and if it worked if it came to if everything came to fruition yeah and we're talking yeah. about all these loans you know that we is is expensive yes. college is expensive so i know you're the first woman black woman in nola mm-hmm. to raise over a um a million dollars in venture capital yes but before we get into that story, I want to know more about your relationship with money growing up. Like, yes. what were your parents, were they making you save money? Or, you know, did they make you have a savings account? Did they make you build credit? Like, what, or did you just No. Um, so, probably very true to a lot of communities of color. Like, you just didn't talk about money, mm-hmm. right? And that was, like, grown folks' business. Mm-hmm. And you didn't really know... Um, what people made and you kind of figured it out. First time I realized what my mother's salary was, which was only $27,000 was because I had to file for a federal Pell Grant for school. And that was the first time I was like, oh man, like we don't make a lot of money. You know what? But we felt like we were doing well. I remember experiencing (laughs) that too. When, you know, like when you're applying for schools and Mm -hmm. and like having to get loans and all this kind of, and you're finally at an age where you're putting things into context because you have that McDonald's job. Yes. And you have that, you know, those, that radio job. Mm-hmm. And you kind of can really compare and also see you're looking at your future and how much you want to make. Yes. And you're kind of looking at your parents who, you know, like made you have a comfortable lifestyle if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And they just try to make it work. Like yeah, try to make it And you they were feel... able to make that money stretch. Yeah. They yes. Yeah. Yes, my mother definitely did that. And <laughs> so, um yeah. so so okay. So you found out like, you know, what your mom was making. Mm-hmm. So um that said, were you the kid that would spend, you know, their paycheck on like a pair of shoes? Or... So <laughs> I was when I finally got a job, um and even like when I went off to college, I was very mindful of like our household bills. Yes, and so okay. like I would give my mom money, even though I got the Gates scholarship. Yeah. Um, I gave my mother like, sorry, Bill and Melinda, you know, we, <laughs> we took care of our, uh, what our school supplies and everything, you know, our yeah. books and tuition. But I would send money back home to my mom. Yeah. And so the idea of like saving money, I didn't really capture that until later. Um, and my, both my parents were deceased, but my father passed away when I was younger and my father was a business owner as well. And, but my father, when he passed away, it was sudden, it was a massive uh, heart attack and he didn't have a state plan set up and it was like a ripple effect. It changed our entire lives. Um, cause my father, mother never were married and his default was his sister and so he had built this legacy over 
uh, his entire life. Like he built a company. He was probably known as like one of the first uh, black millionaires in our city. And overnight our lives changed when he died because she took everything. Wow. And we, the things that we were supposed to inherit, we didn't get. And so we had to start from really nothing as kids. And I honestly think I'm kind of like proud of that. Um, Proud of not having a lot because I feel like I wouldn't be where I am today had I not gone through that. Wow. So, okay. That also gets at another issue that I have heard a lot of women, men too, like black men and women speak mm-hmm. a lot about like when we die, yes. things, the, the plan, so to speak. And I think, um, wasn't it, wasn't it Aretha last year? There was something about mm-hmm. her not having a will. Didn't have a will yeah. in place. And like the idea, like we were just sitting on cash, yes. right? Yeah. Um, and not having like a plan, like who gets to execute that? I think that even with like John Singleton, like there were some issues yeah, around like his, like who's the person and Definitely. like who's the default person who's in place? Like who do you really want to inherit uh, the things that you have? And you just need to like set that in place early on because you just never know what could happen. And, and if you don't mind me asking, how old were you? Um, I, I was seven okay. and my brother was eight. Okay. And so we, we were so young. And so we yeah. just... A lot of things that we learned about even that was much, we were much older when we learned. Okay. Um, and so now I'm always thinking about like, oh, my legacy and like, what do I uh, want to build and how do I leave that? And who do I leave that to? Because I don't have any kids today. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I'm like. Same, same girl, <laughs> same. <laughs> you know, you know. I'm yeah. like, I guess my goddaughter will inherit the world. Yes. <laughs> I mean, what, like, fine, that's perfect. Today, you know, that works for me. <laughs> So, okay, speaking of legacies, so what is Resilia? So Resilia is a SaaS software platform. Um, It was actually a spinoff of another company, Solid Ground Innovations, that I started in 2009. Um, But we launched Resilia to the public originally as uh, Exit Me Now. We went through a rebrand to Resilia. And essentially, we productized our services that we were providing as consultants, specifically to nonprofits, exempt organizations, and then enterprise customers, such as cities, private foundations, and corporations. And so those who were essentially taking in capital and then those who are deploying capital we serve as a entire crm management software to not only manage their funds but their training of their team members their communications through their boards their accountants like you name it it. um so yeah we're kind of like a hub spot for our space uh, which is another SaaS uh, company out here was this always a space that you wanted to get into because i don't i mean not i don't think a lot of I don't hear a lot of black women talking about jumping in, being in this industry and, you know, knowing its potential. No. So how are you like exposed? no black women in that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and how, like, you know, and I know a little, little, little bit about it just from, of course, like research new and all of that. But how did you get into the space at all? Because it sounds like the degree that you were doing prior, mm-hmm. it wasn't. Yeah, so I um, ventured, my first company was primarily a communications management firm. Um, And early on, we were working with exempt organizations, cities, private foundations, and corporations, and providing them your your basic like technical assistance. And so for private foundations, we were actually providing capacity services to organizations that they funded. Um, We were helping create like corporate philanthropy programs and projects and overseeing those. And cities, we were doing like initiatives for the mayors, helping them execute that work. And there's just a lot of paperwork and it's a lot of just 
data being stuffed in um, file cabinets, not used, like after mm-hmm. Katrina, just like so much information that would be so powerful. It was like, how can we like bring this together? How can we standardize the process? How can we productize some of the things that we are doing and take a very manual and labor intensive job Got and um, essentially build a software as a, as a service product? And okay. so that's how Resilia got started. Um, and honestly, I just saw an opportunity um, because I just felt like technology, one, is a disruptor, right? And so either you're going to be disrupted by it or you're going to be a disruptor um, and and build it. And so I think oftentimes we end up being consumers of technology and we don't create or build technology. Um, Pause. (laughs) Because that speaks to so many different industries in general. Like we consume, but we're not building. Yes. So you decided to be a builder. And like I'm always about... I look at the pie, right, in different spaces and places. And even with my first company, I was like, oh, we only have such a slither of the pie. But there's this whole pie and there's all this money (laughs) and all this opportunity. And I was like, okay, how can I get that? You know, like, how can I build something um, based off of the things that I love to do? And I don't have a background in technology. And so I had to learn everything as I segue into um, tech and even like raising capital. Like that was new to me because my first company, I didn't raise any money. I just bootstrapped it. Um, And so I come from that world where the most successful business owners aren't um, running tech companies. That's fairly new to us. Um, But they also never raised money for their businesses. That's wild to me. Yeah. That's so crazy. How did, okay, so how do you decide to raise, how did you raise a million dollars? It's like, that's that's a big deal. It's hard. How long long did it take? Yes. So when I went out, so when we launched um, Resilia to the public, I was, my head was down. We were like building traction. Um, We had customers and I was like, okay we're in a space because at some point your company is is either scalable or is not not. right and so if it is scalable and there's opportunity to raise capital for you to scale faster then you go out and raise money unless you just can or you've been afforded the luxuries in life to fund it yourself Uh, you go out and raise capital and because I had never done it before I like hit a wall because I didn't know anybody and I was here in New Orleans yeah and so not only did I not know anyone I was in in a city that's often overlooked and there's no one that looks like me actually raising capital. And so I began to um, take a step back and say, okay, I have to like create a network into this space. And I started going to like conferences. Ah. Um, I started connecting with like other founders and then they started connecting me with um, some of their investors. What was kind of the timeline for like, how long did it, from the time you decided like, okay, the key to this is a network. Yes. From the time you did that to the time you were able to hit that mark. Yeah. So we did, um, so our first, we did like a pre-seed, like an angel round, which was okay. like local. And so we raised about like $400,000 just locally. And I did that based off of really my track record in my other company. And so people were like, oh, okay, I believe, you know, if you did this, then you could probably do something yeah. else. Okay. Um, and, but when you start talking about seven figures, raising that type of money, it changes the entire dynamics and conversations. And it's harder to raise that type of capital in uh, cities like New Orleans. Um, Like the biggest cities are obviously San Francisco, New York, York. Boston. Exactly. And so um, it took me about probably eight months from like getting out there and networking, meeting people, which is long. long. (laughs) So like me saying, okay, I probably need to raise money. And so went out there 
started like in a November. Okay. Um, November of this was November of like 2017. Okay. Like thinking about raising. I money. love timelines because I think it's important for people to get a good grasp. All mm-hmm. of us, me too, girl. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> to get a yes. grasp of how long you know something really takes. Yeah. Because I think I'm sure as someone who's gotten all these accolades i'm sure people romanticize your story a lot yeah and it sounds like it took a lot of grit (laughs) and a lot of um you no longer being shy (laughs) and like getting out of your comfort zone you know beyonce says she has sasha fierce i like you know i know how to turn it on (laughs) (laughs) gotta turn it on all right right. (laughs) Uh, and so yeah that's what i do nowadays but i think that um so yeah we and so what happened was when i started november i hit the holidays and so that messed me off. So that took the rest of, like, the year was done. Wow, okay. What do you want to talk about? I'm going on vacation. <laughs> yes. I'm, I, I'm like, I, don't, I can't even hear you. Yeah. You know? I'm not thinking about this. I'm not thinking Hit about, me up in February. Yeah, like, <laughs> when we're back, you know, next year. Yes. And so that was a learning lesson. Like, there are seasons that you don't want to hit, um, like summer and, and yeah. where, like, see you after next Got season um, and so from there in January I was like okay let me um, begin to not only continue to build relationships but learn more about ensuring like my deck is um, pitch perfect and like all these other things are in place we have like our KPIs uh, which is key performance metrics um, indicators and now let me get out here and start yeah, like really moving and so we ended up like closing in um, essentially like June, July okay. of 2018. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's always when you're raising capital for a tech startup, you kind of always have to put yourself in a position that you're raising money. Yes. Okay. And you just never can even come out of that. Yeah. Th- I'm sure that has to be exhausting. <laughs> yes, it is. It's so, so exhausting. So is there like, how do you, what kind of a support system do you have? Like, is it a, do you have a big team? Yeah. Is it like what, mm-hmm. and even like family support and I see a homegirl in the corner, your line yes. sister. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Tom, so I want to know more you, about that. We, I have, and oftentimes I feel like black entrepreneurs and black business owners, yeah. we got to have like emotional support. That's right. Like, <laughs> that's right. Self-care. Right. And a lot yeah. of times it's like, oh, we didn't come from households where we are like the third generation business owner. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, here's the blueprint. Yep. This is the this is the path that you should follow. Yeah. And so I think that those who are around us are generally providing, hopefully support, uh, providing that emotional support. But then also I've been very uh, focused on and always have been like ensuring I have like the right people that can help me can grow help. in business. Got and it. so mentors, advisors, okay. et cetera, um, building an advisory board and ensuring that those individuals cause like, hey, like you about to go left, but you probably need to go right. You to, okay. You know? So men, it sounds like mentorship is crucial yes, to you. Yes. Um, what advice do you have for people who are looking for a mentor out yes. there? Um, so you know, I <laughs> how was did talking you get your mentor? Recently, <laughs> and I said, um, and I was talking about how I receive a lot of messages on social media. People say, Oh, can you mentor me? And that, that that's the message, right? Oh, like no, no. I'm like People have got to stop reaching out to strangers, asking for them to be their mentor, because it's such a heavy lift. And instead of saying that, say, 
I read X, Y, and Z about you, and this is what stood out. And I would love to have a 30 minute conversation about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And if you click with that person, that person is going to continue the relationship with you. Right. And it's going to naturally mature into what feels like a mentorship. And I mean, that's what it'll, it'll be. Yeah. And so I think people kill themselves when they like <laughs> approach people so heavy. I kind of wonder too, like some, do does everyone, really understand what mint what real mentoring is yes and because i've definitely been in situations where women have i mean they've spoken about like where they have a whole program for mm-hmm. the, like they're mentoring somebody mm-hmm. it's like okay no i'm taking you under my wing you now represent yes. me when you're out in these streets absolutely so it's like you know i don't i kind of wonder if you know there's a lack of mentorship mm-hmm. in general so sometimes we just don't we don't, we don't understand know. what it is. We don't really, we just know that we need one. Yeah, no, you know? I agree. I think that uh, one of my mentors said um, to an audience one time, he said, people will invest in you, but eventually they're going to want to return on their investment. Yes. And the return on investment is like you saying and doing what you said you're going to do. Like nobody wants to sit down with someone over and over and over and you, you're telling me ideas and things that you want to do and you never move on them. Absolutely. It's like, I'm here to help you yeah. and to guide you so you can go to be the best version of yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I think that people have to like realize like what does that look like and how yeah. do I begin to plan and to move forward so that I can be the best version of myself. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. Um I love to ask I have so many questions, but <laughs> <laughs> I love to ask um everybody that hits the space that's on embossed. Um a couple of questions, but the first one would be what does embossed mean to you? And also tell me about a woman who you admire who's unbossed. And that's kind of like, you know, your inspiration, your your low-key mentor, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I am celebrating this month, July, um, 10 years as an entrepreneur. Okay. Yes. And so I've been on Boss yes. for 10 come years. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> yes. No easy feat. <laughs> no easy feat. Congratulations. So, like, I think that that's what it represents for me because I know as I look back over the past 10 years of my life when I started uh, my company at 22 and how much I did not know. Yes. And, you know, it's like, man, I had the audacity to be like, give me these contracts <laughs> at 22. Yes. You know, you I know? do that too. Like I look back when I was around that age too and I'm like, wow, I have had some like gall like how did I, I would never do that now right. and now it's you know it feels very by the book but like I don't, in a way you kind of need to be that naive yes. to kind of go forward yes yeah I think that probably the more you get into it the more like constraints you put her on yourself Absolutely. like what you can or can't do but then I was like okay yes. I can do this I'm capable and I just began to like really go out and go after uh the things that I wanted to accomplish in my goals but now you know looking back over the past 10 years and like man like I really haven't worked for someone like I've cut my own checks for 10 years that's like crazy like (laughs) (laughs) yes I love it so you're on boss yes not cutting your own checks yes yeah I love it I love it yes um so okay woman who's on boss who inspires you um so (laughs) 
I was telling a story recently of a woman named uh, Nicole Parker, who's based out of Atlanta. And she was the person that got me to think about um, government contracting, which helped us like go to another level um, as a company. And she was just kind of telling her story about how she was a single mother. Uh, When she left government contracting from the contracting side, um, she moved back in with her mom, you know, made the basement her office and started just going after contracts. And now, you know, her company probably does about $30 million in revenue a year. She landed like years ago, like $75 million contract with FDA. I mean, like she's like killing it. But people always see like where people are now and like her story inspired me, but it also set something in motion. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's great to be like inspired by people, but it was like, what does that person inspire you to do? And when you could have people like tangibly like inspire you to do and move on something like that's really inspirational to yes, me. Yes, I love it. So um, where can everyone learn more about the work that you do. Yes. What's your social media? How, I want to like, how can people follow you? And yes. Um, so you can follow me um, on social media. Just my first and last name, Savitra Wilson. Um, you can follow Resilia on website. You can sign up for our newsletters at resilia.co. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. So <laughs> she is. She is. I can me. confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, I could honestly go on and on, but I know we got to wrap up. So, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for like, you know, spending some time with us. Thank you so, for having me. Um, you know, for everybody out there, we are at Essence Fest. So this is a very tight, <laughs> it's a tight time frame. And um, I just I'm so inspired by you and just like everything that you're doing yes. and your visibility. We're so. gonna we're gonna make it. Yes. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Savitra, for stopping by, and thank you guys for tuning in. Email me at unbossedessence.com. Tell me about a woman in your life who inspires you to be unbossed. Or if you don't want to email, comment on social media using the hashtag unbossedpodcast. And please, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Say nice things. Say constructive things, please. Okay. See you guys later.